Hello, my beautiful kings and queens. This is another A Seat at the Table podcast with your host, Lawrence Green. Um, it's been a long, long time since uh, you've probably heard A Seat at the Table podcast, but um, with everything that's going on, not just the current climate, but just in me and my personal life and um, just coming into who I am as a creative, I said I have to come out and get back into talking about the things of God, talking about what's going on in the world, talking about what's going on with me, mental health, and all the different things. So I'm glad to be back. Um, you can follow us through the table on anywhere you uh, listen to um, podcasts and on this platform. Uh, feel free to follow, uh, share, um, and subscribe. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, uh, at a King Since Birth. And make sure you follow the A Seat at the Table um, Facebook page. Um, I have a special guest with me today, uh, Philip Leverett. He is a uh, entrepreneur, uh, author, father, teacher, pastor, essential worker. <laughs> and so I'm going to let him come and introduce himself and where you can follow him. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to be on your podcast. This is fun. Um I am uh, Philip. Some people call me Pastor Phil. Some people just call me Hey You. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I am all of those things that you named. I am a pastor. I am an author. I am a father. I am a black man. Um, and I am just um, willing to do whatever is necessary to advance um, the culture as well as advance the kingdom of God through his gospel and through working with others. Uh, I'm also an entrepreneur. Um where I help individuals start their businesses and um, get their businesses off the ground or do some personal life uh, coaching type things. Um, you can follow me on Facebook at Philip Leverett, my name, and you can follow me on Instagram at underscore P Leverett. Awesome. So you guys make sure if you hear something that you like, make sure you go and follow. And if you hear something you don't like, Make sure you go and follow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, getting into diving right in and getting into w- what the heck is going on on the outskirts of the world that we have going on today. Um, I want to talk about the recent deaths that have um, come into highlight um, as of recently in regards to um outrage, um, black outrage, police brutality, and different things of that nature um, with the, the like, just simply going on what's going on. So uh, there's been a lot of protests, um, a lot of rioting, um, and I feel like there has been such a divide in our culture, all the way, not only in culture, in society, in the church, and I don't think it just started just now. I feel like it's been going on for some years now. Um, but the the most three recent names that um, has been reoccurring in the news is the death of George Floyd, um, I believe, a Minnesota black man who was uh, murdered by a police officer um, for having his knee on his neck for about eight minutes and 46 seconds. And it is a live video that has gone viral. Ahmaud Arbery, uh, a young black man out of Georgia, who um, was going for a jog, uh, went into a house, um, two uh, 
white neighbors in that particular neighborhood saw him, chased him down in the name of stand your ground law and shot him dead. And then we have um, say her name movement with Breonna Taylor, um, a young black female who uh, uh, was uh, shot and killed eight, not shot and killed, but shot eight times and was killed um, from a no-knock warrant. Um, And it just so happened to be the wrong house. And so um, I know for me personally, um, I've, I've felt very, very numb because it reminded me of many summers back I don't know if it was 2014, 2015, or maybe I'm just getting all the years mixed together. But when, you know, it was uh, Fidel Castell and Charlottesville and all those different things was going on. It just seems like there's always when the, when the heat gets hot, there's just like there's a summer full of just where we are seeing the news of, you know, black men and black women being killed. And so I think but this is the first time for me that I think that I'm seeing that the hashtag has become, it almost seems like a global movement. Yeah. So um, what I, what I want, I'm asking, you know, you, uh, Pastor Leverett, uh, what is, can you give us some language to, to the outrage? Can you explain why, why some people just, they don't get it. Why, you know, why are people just so mad and so angry? Yeah. Um, so I think the difference between these and others is the commonality of the phrases that are no longer, that are no longer safe. And what I mean by that is, um, okay, I'm going out for a run used to be something that was, you know, okay to do. You would, you know, get yourself dressed for some of you that run, get yourself dressed, go outside and, and go do your regular run, but to feel unsafe doing those regular things, um, you know, is an outrage. Um, on top of that, I really started thinking about um, George Floyd and some of the statements that he made. Um, and one of them was his, I can't breathe. When I used to think of, I can't breathe, I would immediately think about when you said something so funny that you can't catch your breath. Mm-hmm. And you used to say, oh, you know, you're just laughing. You're like, oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. But this man said it. Um, And then the thing that I started thinking about is what's common among, um, you know, African-American men is that when they make it, um, you know, they get on TV and they say, I'd like to thank my mom. And one of the last few things we heard George Floyd say was mama. And so the cry for mom has a different undertone than before. And this is what makes this movement uh, so much more relatable it's because they're everyday things that were going on that cause lives to be lost. Um, and so the outrage comes from the fact that um, all the time these things have been going on and there's been no one who has um, been able to uh, not only give language uh, for individuals that are hurting, but also to provide insight into where we're supposed to going from here. and. On top of that, in most cases, uh, the perpetrators of these um, of these uh, of these heinous crimes um, are not getting convicted. Yeah, you know, and so at some point, it becomes a question of worth. What is the life of a black or a person of color's life worth? And so, since individuals 
cannot determine what our lives are worth. We're going to show you with our voice how much power and how much um, togetherness we have um, through these protests, through these acts, you know, um, you call them riots, we call them whatever. But all of these are, are, are saying that we are, we are no longer going to be silent against injustice. And why do you think that people miss the, the, the true um, essence of what people are trying to say, um, whether it's peacefully protesting or rioting in the street? Um, and is there such thing as um, uh, uh, um, like strategic rioting? That's a good question. I don't know if, if I have an answer for that um, because I think my challenge, and, and this is just me doing a little bit of the historical research that I've done, I think the challenge with rioting is that um, it affects our communities more than it affects the communities of those that will represent the perpetrators, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if we think about the riots that took place during MLK, or during the assassination of Malcolm X, most of those took place in our own neighborhoods. And it took years for our neighborhoods to be built back up. Uh, When you think about the LA riots, the exact same thing. And so um, the challenge with the riots is that um, when when they turn into um, an impact of of affecting the Black-owned businesses or the people of color businesses in the area, now, Black money is now being forced to go to places where we don't want to shop. This is where, uh, in my opinion, I think a lot of the times where our mega stores come from is because we stopped um, putting our money back into our communities. And a lot of that stems from the trickle down effects of um, a lot of um, urban areas um, having insights. And I hate using that term, um, but a lot of inner center areas having some level of um, challenge that calls the uh, that calls some type of public out, out, outcry whether it's through um you know gang related type things whether it's through you know um public outcry um i think that the challenge for all of it is that in most cases it affects our community businesses before it affects the masses and so i don't really think there is an answer around whether or not there's a a a language for strategic protesting, I think, or strategic rioting. I think there is a language for organized protesting, um, because what organizing protesting says is that we're not going to stand for this injustice, but we're also not going to uh, violate our businesses in an effort to show you how much we care about what's going on. I hope that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, but I. What I've been seeing among, I feel like, uh, y- the younger generation um, via social media is what they bring to the argument. They bring up even prior riots, not before the ones that, you know, MLK in LA, but going all the way back to colonial, people like to bring up like the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. And so in which, you know, you know, things like, like those kinds of uh, strategic ways in which it affects because i think there's a difference between you know riding a target 
a corporate organization that you know uh not, not i'm not trying to pro, uh what is it not trying to condone it but i'm just mm-hmm. uh just uh this is the 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 idea that's being expressed is that um riding a target affects the the money and the funds of a different group than it would um you know uncle john's corner store mm-hmm. and so i think in in that what i think people fail to to realize um in in writing is that like you said before with mlk and the la riots it it takes us a longer time to recover and i remember watching this clip of this older um african-american lady and she was crying because they had tore up the dollar tree they had tore up um and some other side stores that she all the ones that she shopped at and mm-hmm. it was just like now I have no. She was crying in tears because she says now I have nowhere to shop, you know. Yeah. I have nowhere to go because a lot of times in our particular communities they have food deserts. And then in another viral video of a lady in New York um, about them terrorizing a charger, um, yeah. and the about the uh, homeless people not having a place for the charger. So um, I think that um, with that. It, it is. I feel like it's two sides to the coin, but I do. I do think that um, the peaceful protests and like you know addressing those different things is probably a, a better outlook. But I think a lot of people feel feel as though it's ineffective, but I don't think that that's necessarily true because we have now seen now on a global scale people in other countries coming out of their homes and seeing it. And I think that's also due to the fact of social media giving it such, um, and the media in general, giving it such a, a, um, a platform. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about in the, it was, I want to say either the late eighties going into the early nineties, we had South Africa's apartheid, Yeah, you know, where that hit on a global scale where um, corporations that were funding, you know, South African efforts, you know, had to pull their money because African-Americans and other, and other, you know, um, citizens concerned about injustice were no longer funding, you know, business people gave up their scholarships, you know? So, I mean, I, I'm absolutely, I, I absolutely believe in the power of, um, of protest. I absolutely believe in what it can do um, because we've seen on numerous occasions where protests um, have sparked um, the, um, the light for, um, for change. Um, I think though, um, just going back and thinking about the Boston Tea Party, one of the things that um, becomes very important is that um, after protesting, after rioting um, comes policy. Yeah. Um, And I think this becomes the part where um, sometimes our efforts fall short in the fact that um, we don't understand the power of leadership and we don't understand the power of putting the right leaders in place um, so that, you know, things like this will no longer be tolerated. Um, And so um, I was having this conversation with my daughter last night. um, And so she was like, well, you know, how come we can't change? And, you know, what's going on? I said, the challenge is, is that, and she brought it up. She said, Dad, why do individuals only vote for, my daughter's relatively precocious, she's 14, 
um, and she's really been um, following these riots. And truthfully, for her, this is her. This is to her. This is my George, my um, Rodney King. Um, mm-hmm. And so, for her, she doesn't understand uh, why change takes so long. And so, mm-hmm. I brought some some reality to it. And I said, well, think about it. I said, in most cases, um, these individuals that are rioting, and this is probably um, something that's been heard regular, but it's not something that we talk about. Um, These individuals that are out here, um, not rioting, but these individuals that are out here protesting, um, the question you have to ask yourself is, well, what percentage of these individuals uh, are registered voters? Um, Out of those registered voters, uh, what percentage of those individuals are voting for their local government agencies, who's voting for their sheriff, who's voting for, you know, their county board members, who's voting for their mayors, mm-hmm. you know, who's voting for their state legislator and their, you know, um, and their Congress members, uh, because all of these individuals are the individuals that are um, attached to why things are the way they are. There is nothing on this planet, um, even if we look at it from a spiritual perspective, there's nothing on this planet that doesn't have a law. The sun has a law of setting, of rising and setting, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the sea has the law of not going past a certain point uh, as it pertains to uh, 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 the earth. Um, and so the chair, the laws of gravity, how chairs are made is based upon specific laws. Um, therefore, that means that I have to uh, be in partnership with those that have the grace to navigate through the law. Um, and so I'm going to pivot slightly and go back to the question. I think the challenge is, particularly in the African-American Black church experience, I think the challenge is, is that we've called everyone called to the pulpit and not called to um, politics and not called to become lawyers and not called to become police officers and not called to mm-hmm. become all these things that will infect lifelong change. Yeah. Um, and so these are the things that become super important. Um, and so after protests, uh, we have to begin to ask ourselves, um, how do we ensure that policies are enacted that are not, um, and and I hope everyone that, that hears this podcast hears me when I say this, that are not um, facade policy um, or trending policy. And what I mean by that is um, in some cases, particularly when it's an election year, there are certain things that individuals will attempt to enact because they recognize that this is my constituency. This is they do their electoral math and they find out I've got to say or do X, Y and Z to either maintain my seat or get elected. Um, And so one of the things I was talking to my daughter about, because, you know, she's understanding civics and policy and everything else like that. And one of the things I talked to her about was the fact that um, a politician will only go to areas, first off, or only listen to individuals that are registered voters, that are individuals that are taking the time out to get, in, to get involved civically. This is the same thing inside of the school boards. Uh, school boards can make changes, do all these different things that they want to do, because they know that parents in certain areas do not even come to the PTA meetings. Yeah. You know, and so these are the things like, but, but as soon as there's some level of outrage, and this is justifiable outrage, I want to make sure that I put that out there. This is justifiable outrage. The challenge is, is that we spend more time uh, displaying public outrage without going back into our back rooms and developing a message of what we're going to say. I didn't want to talk too long, so that's why I stopped. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll keep going. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, I want to back up a little bit 
because I do want I I really do want to get in to dive in into the the policy and the politics and the struggle to see that change that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to pivot back a little bit, I I feel like with everything that's going on, there is this feeling and this burden. Um, just for me as a Christian, and then me being black. Um, to feel like I have to explain, to educate, and to speak out on social media. Mm-hmm. I think we see sometimes that people post things like, um, we see all of those of you who are being silent, um, or, uh, you know, as Black people, we need to be able to, um, you know, say a third, certain thing. Or me being a Christian, and being a Christian that supports things like Black Lives Matter and recognizing that there are some Christians in the Christian faith who do not support Black Lives Matter. Shoot, there's some Black people that don't support Black Lives Matter. And right. so, um, like, the uh, the the, um, the feeling of, like, the things that I post maybe on my Facebook page of feeling like I have to explain myself or educate that, you know, because I don't want the stereotype of, um, are the the misconceived notions to be attached to that's the character of who Lawrence is because he posted something that says something along the lines of Black Lives Matter on his page when that's always been the type of individual I've always been. You know what I'm saying? And so I feel like, um, you know, how do you, well, like, what are your, explaining your thoughts or, you know, of how you, of how, like, you know, because... I feel like as millennials, like social media, that's our that's our thing. The internet, like expressing and doing all that. But um, what do you say about the that feeling or that burden to feel like? Because I think also too, sorry, one last thing is that there are still people that are still trying to figure things out as well too, because there's so many different sides to things, and sometimes stuff has a side when it's really not a choice of you need to pick a side it's just more of um what what is the what is the root of a thing and what i mean by what is the root of the thing but what is the true issue at hand um what is the true heart at hand and how do we effectively tell people hey i see you i see the problem now let's work towards a solution yeah um I can attack that question in in a, a lot of different ways. Um, I think the first place to start, though, um, just thinking as a black man before any titles, before any anything else, I think that we are generationally taught how to explain ourselves. Um, I mean, prime example: what other culture do you know has to code switch? where we have to speak one way inside of our home, but when we're out, we have to dress apart, look apart. Um, And, uh, you know, just for the purpose of being seen as non-threatening. You know, in most cases, I find myself, you know, when I'm in uh, predominantly um, non-Black environments, um, smiling a lot more, all for the purpose of, making sure the individuals know that I'm not a threat. But I don't see other individuals having to come from that 
from that perspective in their introduction. Um, I have to make sure that in certain arenas, I'm as articulate as I need to be um, so that I'm not, you know, looked at as the quintessential uh, stereotypical black man. You, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think in general, I mean, we are, are taught um, how to be different ways in different places. And, and we see it, and, and it's comical, but we see it on a regular basis. You know, your mom could be yelling at you one minute and someone picks up the phone or someone's at the door. How are you doing? You know, so we've learned, mm-hmm. you know, over the stage of how to be, uh, how to have two different sides. Um, the challenge, though, is that um, they're starting, what's happening is, is that uh, individuals' uh, biases are becoming more prevalent. Um, and one of the things I heard, and I think this is in a Shonda Rhimes TV show, um, um, Papa Pope was talking to Olivia Pope. Yeah, it was a uh, scandal. And he said, what did I always tell you? That, and she said, what? You had to be twice as good to get half as much. And this is the life that we live. Um, and so I think the challenge for most of us is developing, um, really developing our cultural identity in such a way to where I can be my authentic self while still living in my skin. That's the first layer to the question. From a Christian perspective, the thing that we don't want to own um, from, from a universal perspective is that some individuals have utilized the very Bible that is supposed to lead us to salvation to a way to control um, the African the African people, um, you know, from um, during slave times to the preacher, the itinerary preacher uh, being used as a tool to keep the slaves in line with scriptures like slaves obey your master, um, you know, to um, going further down to where now that um, we're in the, re- you know, we're in reformation and now we have, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, you know, members who are utilizing uh, the Bible as a justification for lynching and burning crosses and all these different things and the Aryan nations and all these different uh, white supremacy groups uh, who have utilized a biblical text to justify their injustice uh, towards persons of color. Um, on top of that, the silence of um, our non-Black fellow um, Christian members um, who have not taken the time out to really understand the generational trauma that's attached to being um, a person of color and their generation's part in that process. Um, and then there's an unpopular thing that we have to talk about, about the tribalism within our own culture that um, uh, hinders our ability to have a unified voice. Um, and so in talking with my daughter yesterday, one of the things I shared with her was the fact that uh, any start of a movement starts with public outrage, but it should lead to a cultural shift. The challenge for us as people of color um, is that in most cases, we don't understand the power of the back room to come together and say, these are all the problems, these are all the things that we need to address uh, and, and create a unified front, go back out and say, this is what we want to see done. And this is how we expect it to be done. And on top of that, here's what we're going to do with our money until we see it done. And here's what we're going to do with our student athletes until we see it done. And here's what we're going to do with our educational dollars until we see it done. Here's what we're going to do in our communities until we see it done. 
right? Um, but in most cases, um, you know, any leader that stood up in that in that arena, um, we're not honest enough to say that they have either been met with assassination or buy off. Um, and so these are the undertoning things that we need to do. I believe that this is a season where, um, and I guess this will be relatively pastoral. I believe that this is a season where God is raising up leaders who are able to identify their giants in their particular field of expertise. Um, and so as God continues to raise up leaders, it'll be an opportunity for us to see that long lasting change because they'll be leading from a place of righteousness. They'll be leading from a place of justice. They'll be leading from a place of following the heart and mind of God towards his people so that everyone can see the peace that is found and the joy that is found in, in Christ. Um, but until we have those conversations about our biases and until we have our conversations about our divides, um, I think what we're going to see are multiple movements without a unified voice. And speaking of divides, do you believe that the divide in the culture is exposing the divide in the church? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of my favorite quotes as it pertains to the church and segregation was actually by Martin Luther King. He says the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning. Um, and, and, and he said that because he, he recognized that there, there is the black church and there is the white church. I mean, we see it in our music on a regular basis where there is gospel music and then there's CCM. You know, we have um, this high level of worship and praise from the CCM side um, where because uh, and then there's this high level of God's going to bring you through and you're going to make it from the other from the gospel side. And when you really think about it, there's a reason for that. When you start talking about uh, generational poverty and you start talking about generational trauma. Um, where if we're honest, you know, we are what? 250 years removed from slavery, if I'm not mistaken. Is that about right? Um, which is which is which is super young. So that's like my great great grandmother. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? And so it's like there is a level of generational trauma that's attached to it. Prime example. Um if you ever do any study as it pertains to domestic violence, um, what they talk about is that there is a, a generational trauma cycle that happens within a child uh, that is not resolved until it gets to their grandparents, until until that child becomes a grandparent. And so if, if trauma from domestic violence impacts an individual like that, what would the trauma be of a country who systematically um, degraded um, a, a people um, and they didn't really have any equal any equal rights until the 1960s. So that's generations upon generations of being told that you'll never be good enough because you're property. I mean, the reason we have our, um, our House of Representatives and how our Congress is set up is based upon the three-fifth compromise where a black person was considered three-fifths of, of, of a white man. So these cultural divides are, are in the fibers 
of our constitution where we hold these truths that are self, that all men are created equal was written by individuals that were going back by some individuals that were going back to their plantations where their slaves were. You know, and so these are all the things that we have to have dialogue about while we're talking about the freedom that's in the gospel. We have to talk about the segregation that's caused by individuals being discipled into seeing people differently. And that's the big that's the bigger challenge is that in most cases we have to acknowledge that everyone that's being discipled in Jesus are not being discipled without a cultural bias. Yeah. And like, I just, I'm so glad you said what you said about like, you know, the black church and gospel music, because I, I, for me, I'm, I'm falling back in love with the black church and gospel music. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, first of all, I was raised in it all my life and then coming to, Mm -hmm. you know, getting saved. And then having you know leadership in the forefront or being around other Christian friends from other ethnic backgrounds and other backgrounds, um, kind of dogging, uh, you know, gospel music and you know mm-hmm. giving more praise to CCM. And I definitely want to have um, a whole nother podcast strictly on on that. But you know, to try to stay on topic of just like I just feel like sometimes um, for some. African Americans um, in the church, uh, I feel like sometimes when we say things like Black Lives Matter, it is perceived by other groups that is ethnical pride. And I don't think that our ethnical value in ourselves and in our beauty and in the way that God created us, because I believe that um, if everything was made for God's glory, and for the purpose of him to be glorified, then that also means the ethnic background in which I come from and the blackness and the melanin that he gave me in my skin is also um, a, 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 a conduit in which he can use for his glory. And um, mm-hmm. I just, oh, I don't, I, it's, I think it's sad that it is viewed that when we say Black Lives Matter is that we're viewing all other lives in a place of, uh, we're, we're uh, looking at Black lives in a place of, um, superiority are showing a sense of partiality um when we see in scripture where there were time periods where certain groups of people were in need of aid it's just like Mm -hmm. um when you know the prophets would come and be like you know check on the orphans and the widows do not all children matter You know, mm-hmm. and it's just right. like it's like no, we just recognize that there's a particular issue at hand, and I just feel like that sometimes, uh, we there, I feel like, uh, that that is that is viewed in the church, and I think we, I think, uh, the black church wasn't built or established because we decided we wanted to do that on our own, was because the culture mm-hmm. told us that that's how it was going to be. But we said we made we made yeah. up in our mind that we were going to serve God anyway and anyhow. And so yeah. um, I think um, it shouldn't get so much lack. I even had a conversation with a friend who talked about like you know we see more issues with leadership and sexual sin and all these different issues within the the black church, and it's more common in black churches, and that's why we need to start transitioning to more and more culture multicultural places. And 
I I got a little offended by that because I felt like um, the moment we start to associate bad character, bad business practices among the church, unethicalness to a certain minority group is when not that's when we start to um, reinforce the same systematic issues and partialities that we see outside of the church. Yeah. And so um, uh, I think I, I'm yet praying for what I, what I hope to see and recognizing is how in James, where it says, you know, having no partiality that yes, we can come into the house of God and accept each other's differences, accept each other's beauty, and also, too, recognizing one and foremost the commonality that we have in Christ Jesus, that all of that should trump everything else at the end of the day. And so that people who are looking on the outside can look inside your church and see, wow, there's all these different kinds of people, in, but they're all working together, and they're all under the name of Christ Jesus. But I think when I come into the house of God as a black man and I try to explain to you my experience and you degrade my experience, um, it doesn't, it, 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 um, it, I think it's, it's, it's more harmful than good when we, when, when we've been called to help bear one another's burdens, you get what I'm saying? And if I'm letting you know that this, the partiality that I'm receiving on the outside is burdening me when I step inside and you tell me, oh no, that's not, that's not, that's not true. That's not real. That's just falseness. That's just the devil in your ear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think the, I, <laughs> this is going to be an unpopular statement, so I may not be invited back. To <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think though, at times, talking about the black church experience, I think at times we give, um, and this is a generalized, of course, this is not every black church. I think, though, that we give other races permission to dog us because we are tribal in nature, um, because in some cases we dog ourselves. Um, and just thinking about, you know, some of the churches that I've been in church all my life. Uh, I can't think of a time where I was not in church um, and I've been to black churches and Caucasian churches and Catholic churches and Presbyterian churches and all different types of churches. And one of the things I can say is that um, in most cases, what I see is that in the African-American experience, sometimes the church was the only place where individuals felt like they could share their gifts, their talents and be heard. Um, however, what that does though, is that that causes us to not have the ability to do uh, successful succession planning. Because the second we feel like someone is better than us, or the second we feel like someone is doing something different than us, uh, then instead of uh, um, giving them the strength to push towards greatness, we find ways to de- um, to degrade and find dirt and you know all these other things. Um, so in some cases from a, quote unquote, black church perspective, we have to own the fact that sometimes we're not as supportive as we need to be. Um, And so the other component to that, though, is that 
at the same time, the church as a whole has to do a better job of asking each other's questions. You know, um, well, what are some of the challenges that you guys are having as a black people? You know, what are some of the things that as a white, you know, Christian, I can do to further support, uh, to minister the gospel and further support, you know, what's happening in your community. And we're seeing that. Um, we're seeing that in some churches where some white pastors are standing up and saying, this is not okay. This is not the gospel. And so what it does is that it points to the fact that individuals understand the purity that's found in a true relationship with Christ, um, where uh, we understand that we're all under one blood. And when I say that, I'm not saying that stereotypically, I'm just saying that we're all um, we're all caught, we're all, you know, purchased by the same blood of Christ. We're all adopted into God's family. Um, our experience is different because any, if anyone knows anything about being adopted or know people that are adopted, just because I'm in your family doesn't mean you understand my story. Yeah. Right. And so the important thing within inside of the context of the church is to make sure that although we're all a part of the same adoptive family, that we take the, take the time to learn everyone's story. That, uh, and that becomes the most too, their story is also their testimony and their testimony exactly. in which how God glorified himself through their life. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, my next uh, uh, question I want to address or get to is where do we go from here? Uh, I know you, we've been tiptoeing into it this a little bit Um over the course of the whole entire podcast are you mentioning you know how um public outrage needs to go into a public shift and how um we need to talk about different policy changes you know because i just feel like the 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 view or the the consensus is for some is you know i'm mad now what you know we've played nice we've played peace we now we want change what do we do with this anger? What do we do with this outrage? Mm -hmm. um, so there is, um, and I like to, to talk about it. There are some stages of a movement just in general. Um, and so the first stage is the stage of public outcry, acknowledging the fact that um, there is something that is going on and bringing everyone, everyone from all around comes and they say, this is not right. This is not what we're supposed to be doing it. Uh, this is not how it's supposed to be. We see this scripturally um, by, you know, the zealots who were always protesting against, um, you know, the Roman rule and everything else like that. They're looking for a leader. It goes from um, outrage to education where individuals, where the culture begins to educate themselves. And we saw a little bit of that um, during the last presidential election cycle, where individuals recognized that, um, you know, the candidate Hillary Clinton had more popular votes than they had electoral votes. So individuals begin to educate themselves on the um, electoral process. Um, after that um, comes stabilization, where uh, now individuals are outraged. Now they're um, educated. Now they try to figure out where they fit inside of the system. What? How do I utilize my skills, my gifts, my knowledge, my understanding, my education to affect uh, change inside of my community? 
Um, and then that is probably one of the most longest stages uh, because from there it goes from uh, from from that to stabilization where the move where the outrage is no longer necessary because now it's gone in it's it's now a part of the culture. Um, so with that being said, there are a couple things that uh, should probably be um, implemented. First and foremost, um, educating your family. Like I love having these conversations with my daughter um, about, you know, race relations, injustice, things of this nature, um, the power of the black dollar, um, how individuals, uh, how non-blacks spend money versus uh, versus uh, versus African-Americans, uh, what we value, what we don't value. Um, and in most cases, um, we are more focused on, and I don't know if this is my own term, I've heard it somewhere, we're more focused on image economics, basically um, buying things that make us look better, but doesn't make mm. us better. Um, where from other, from other cultures, they spend time teaching their children about the banking system, about investing, about long-term wealth and, and, you know, in long-term money. And so you can have multimillionaires that's okay with khakis and new balances, whereas you can have individuals that's living paycheck to paycheck that's got the latest Jordans on. And so these are the things that we have to have also conversations about. So first off, we have to educate our kids. Like we have to do a better job of spending time discipling our family and being a better family dis uh, discipler. Um, making sure the individuals inside of your own family unit uh, know how to honor God, honor each other, and honor their and honor and love their community. That's first and foremost. Uh, second, we have to do a better job of choosing our local leaders. Um, that begins with choosing um, who educates our children, right? So that goes into you know what is the what does the school board want to do? What are the what are what what are they trying to do for my family? Because my local tax dollar pay for the school the school board to make the decisions that they make for my well, uh, municipality as it pertains to what how my children are educated. So on top of that, this is the first place outside of the home that my child gets an, a sense of identity and social acceptance. So if a child doesn't feel socially accepted in school, then they're going to grow up with this um, understanding that I'm not even accepted in this place. Right. So if I have guidance counselors that's saying that's telling our young um, people of color that maybe they should just focus on their sports and not focus on science and technology and music and art and things of that nature, then that's also a social norm that needs to be corrected. Right. Right. So we're dealing with education. And then on top of that, now we're looking at our local officials, you know, and our state legislators and we're and we're putting a demand on them to pay attention to our communities outside of an election cycle which means that we're, we're um, asking for town halls. We're asking for um, their stance on policies. This is one of the reasons why individuals became so frustrated with the last presidential cycle, because even the debates sounded like soundbite after soundbite, like no one's saying anything original and no one's giving me a plan. You're only giving me sound bites based upon where these things are going to be televised and based upon the region that you're in. And so we cannot believe the hype that just because someone is saying something, this is what the plan they have for. Because the reality is, is that every politician has a funder, has a lobbyist, because it takes their money to run for office. So although they're telling the public one thing, they have to go back and tell their funders something else. Until we become the funders of these campaigns and the endorsers of these campaigns, 
uh, then what's going to happen is they will continue to come to our churches and and thank God for that one time that they come to the service. <laughs> and this is not all politicians. Um, thank God for the one time they come to our service same and time praise Jesus and give some scripture. Exactly. But at the same time, they're on their way to this um, $10,000 a plate uh, fundraiser that most of the people that they just talked to can't afford. And so these are the real people I'm talking to. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? And so we have to put a fire under them because um, that tells the individual that's running for president that we're so connected to our community that you're not going to run our country any old kind of way. So we need to develop leaders in every sector. We need to, and this is a purpose conversation. And if you've ever had a conversation with me, this is something that's always going to be ingrained in you is that it's more important that you find your purpose in God uh, rather than uh, rely on the gifts that you and the talents that you have in God. Lucifer was talented. He was a talented, you know, praise and worship leader. But what he found in himself was the thing that caused him to be to rebel. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, um, but vice versa. And this is not a comparison. But when you look at the language of Jesus, Jesus says that I am come. He had a, a, a clear understanding of what he was created to do. And I think the challenge within the church is that we spent more time promoting individuals' gifts instead of challenging what they're called to. Yeah. We're not verifying individuals. You understand? It's 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 one of those things where, um, you know, if you got a gift, then you must be the praise and worship leader. Or if you have a gift, you must be, or if you have a, if you're a good communicator, then you must be a, a preacher. But I'm not dealing with your character flaws. And I'm de not dealing with the fact that you may not be called to this. Just because you're good at it doesn't mean you're called yeah. to it, right? And so we have to have those conversations. Jesus, when he picked his disciples, he picked his disciples with the end in mind. Come follow me and I will make you X, Y, and Z. And so the thing that we have to understand about the gospel is that the gospel doesn't just stop at our salvation. It stops at, at, at it, it continues to revealing to us why God wanted us saved in the first place, because there's something that he's created for us to do inside of, of our womb that needs to be enacted at this particular time, at this particular moment to get everything done. And so I, I do believe that God is getting ready to activate individuals into their purposes, into their callings. And so that's that's the process. From the church's perspective, it's it's making sure that the gospel that we preach is the 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 the, the gospel of God, the, the 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 unfiltered gospel of Jesus that points individuals not only to salvation, but it points individuals to the resurrection power found uh in believing the gospel that what that makes us not ashamed to what it is we've been created to do. And we do it all under the banner of Jesus in our actions and our deeds and how we love our family and how we treat our neighbors and how we uh, uh, engage in our community. It's all done as if we're doing it unto the name of the Lord, because we begin to recognize that the life that we live is not ours, but we live it uh, through the through through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You mm -hmm. understand? And so that's the part that becomes so important is that as a nation, as a people, uh, we have to start with our family. And, and, and when we start with our family, better families lead to better communities, which leads to better cities, which leads to better states, which leads to a better country, which eventually leads to a better world. Mm -hmm. So I think it starts with the family. Oh, well, well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining and, and hopping on this conversation and just having this dialogue with me. I, I just appreciate so many nuggets that you gave. Um, 
and to, to piggyback off what you were mentioning in reference to, you know, the act of change, um, I think about Maslow's heart, heart Maslow's, uh, what's it called? Hierarchy. Yes. Hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. like how um, I think even, even in that at the lowest, you know, food, clothing, shelter, um, I even think that those areas in which um, are some things that are simple things that we can focus on. And I think that are just now coming a little bit to the forefront, things like, you know, discovering and talking about food deserts um, among uh, in African-American communities, you know, health disparities, you know, it seems like African-Americans are number one in every um, <laughs> health issue that you can name, diabetes, hypertension, right. you know, just some of everything and uh and even just housing so um Mm -hmm. you know building that safe environment so that families can be able to thrive and to grow but i love how you ended it with you know where our hope truly lies if you are a believer and that is in in christ jesus um and i i think that that can't that's not something that can be um taken lightly and allowing that to be for those who are believers and who are in the struggle and who are angry and who are upset or who may be saddened to realize where our hope is, which is the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ. And um, allowing that hope that lies within to um, continue to push you to persevere um, and to be resilient um, to have joy, to allow love to flow, to have self-control, and um, all those different things. Um, continue to follow us at the table um, on this uh, podcast platform that you are listening to. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe. Um, make sure you can follow me at uh, A King Since Birth. Um, you can follow at the Seat of the Table Facebook page. And... Um, Pastor Leverett, I'm going to pass it on to you for your last words and shameless plugs. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, this is an absolutely amazing podcast. Thank you so much for allowing me to be a part um, and speak to your audience. Uh, it was absolute pleasure. I love having these dialogues. I love having these opportunities. Um, and so I think my shameless plug uh, would first off would be in the fact that, um, you know, there is hope found in Jesus. You know, there is hope there is peace, there is everything you need is found in in Jesus. Um, and so, you know, if there's individuals who have never accepted Christ, um, I do want to take this opportunity uh, to make sure that you have that opportunity. And just by saying this simple, this simple prayer, you know, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want you to trust. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Um, And so just simply just asking the Lord into your heart begins your journey towards finding your purpose, towards finding your destiny, towards finding what is your part to play in the change that's taking place inside of this country. Um, Once again, thank you for this opportunity. Um, You can follow me on Facebook at Philip Leverett. You can follow me on Instagram at underscore P Leverett. you can go onto my website, www.pleverett.com, 
if you're trying to figure out how to start a business or nonprofit, um, or, you know, you can also um, purchase my book, Stabilize, which has the conversation about um, how our internal struggles impacts our ability to really see God the way he wants us to see him. Uh, so once again, thank you. I appreciate uh, the opportunity and I can't wait to see where this podcast goes. All right, kings and queens, shine bright. You hold the light. Peace. Thank you.